Evening all. So, I'd like you, um, first of all, to be um, thinking of um, if you had a, a teddy bear or a special doll or something like that in your childhood. Maybe you didn't, but maybe you had doll that you like to carry or a teddy that you took to bed and hugged and you had a special name for it. Yeah, I wonder if anybody had a tongue one or two. Yeah, yeah, quite a few across the ages. Faith's just kind of almost but not quite given up having a cuddly toy in bed, as opposed to Noah, who has a set, but we've got him down to a different one each night. And he's got a chart, and he checks which night of the week it is for which one, you know, ranging from... Uh, one of his favourites uh, is a, a giraffe, um, small cuddly giraffe, um, which is called Giraffe Baby 2. I, th I think it might even be heading towards Giraffe Baby 3 um, because he had one and it kind of got sucked um, and had to be put aside. And then there was another one. Um, and then there was another one. I, um, I had a, a small sort of orange, uh, orangey brown colored teddy bear. Uh, and it, it was much loved. When I was three, I had uh, grommets in my ears and tonsils and adenoids done, and I took it to hospital with me, and by the age of three, it was quite severely damaged, and it had to get stitched back together. It had to have an operation at the same time as I was having my operation in hospital. Um, I called my teddy bear Keith. <laughs> The, uh, uh, perhaps that would suggest a slight lack of imagination. <laughs> uh, it might have been other reasons. It might have been just that that was nice and easy to remember. Um, or maybe it was because I quite fancied having the name Roger. And I thought this could be a potential name for me. As it turns out, my father-in-law is actually called Roger. So that would have been confusing if I had chosen um, to change my name. Names are important um, in how we remember things, how we uh, view people, how we understand things, and in cultures not so much here today in the in the Northern Hemisphere or the, the West, as it used to be called. Um, but in many cultures, the name truly means something. Uh, I, um, I went to a, uh, a workshop when I was in uh, Northampton. I, I was invited to attend uh, an African culture workshop that a local community was putting on. And uh, there, um, it, it was to talk about names, 
And because I was um, the minister of the church where they were meeting, they wanted to invite somebody from outside of their culture that might have a slightly different spin, uh, different from um, an elder naming it like a, an older person in the community rather than a church elder. Um, or something about the first thing that was seen or, or something like that. So I went and I talked about names. Um, but reading in uh, Hosea chapter 1, which is on page 900, names are being given um, for a very specific reason. Have you got one? That's before we get into the main uh, period. Now that's saying that Hosea was a prophet over at least 25 years, possibly up to about 75 years, depending on how much of Isaiah and how much of Hezekiah he was still speaking the, word, the Lord's word over. You know, so it's at least 25, possibly even heading for almost a century. And each of these kings that are named here... Um, has a different thing going on in their reign. Just as we might think back on an Elizabethan time, that's easier for you to say than me, um, or an Edwardian or a Victorian or something like that, the reigns of these kings were each different. Isaiah was a period of great wealth, but there was a comfort that came with that wealth, and so developed complacency. Jotham, he inherited this wealthy nation, and he fiddled with details. He didn't look at the big picture. He lost track of where the country was going. Ahaz was an unbeliever who even sacrificed his son. And Hezekiah loved God and we start to see changes under him. Jeroboam, or actually it'd be more precise to say Jeroboam II, the, uh, the um, used idols to come near God. Idols that would have been used for worshipping Baal, false gods. He wanted to worship the true God, but he actually used false, uh, false gods, uh, golden calves and things, and thereby managed to insult two religions at the same time. Both those that worship Baal and the prophets that truly worship God. You know, that, that takes some doing, doesn't it? But it is an example of how not to be, how not to muddle up your religions and say they're all the same. But the main thrust 
into names. It's not just these names at the top and what they represent and the period of time and how the culture of God's people had become polluted. And so the Lord speaks to the prophet and says, go and have these children, go and get yourself a wife and have these children and give them names. Names that they probably wouldn't want to have. Names that are insults. Names that are going to affect them. That old saying about sticks and stones will break my bones but names will never hurt me is known now to be complete rubbish. Names do hurt. They do cause an impact. If you continually do somebody down, if you knock them every time they try to stand up, if they try to grow, it will hurt. And so these people are saddled with names that are most unpleasant. But they're not given names for their own sake. Each of these are conveying a message about who the people are, who the wider population are in this time, in the about 700-odd BC. What we do, what we say, does make a difference. On the front of the notice sheet, I don't know whether you've noticed, but at the very bottom, who's got a notice sheet on them? It's got like a little excerpt from our uh, mission statement. It says, encountering God, encouraging one another, and demonstrating God's love. It's something about who we long to be, how we hope to be God's people, how we hope to be a church. That was kind of what the Lord was doing as he gave these names out. He was trying to say, you know, you have to change. You have to adapt. You are people that I long to love. You are people that should be seeking peace. You are people that should be faithful to my way. And so the prompting of the names was a message. It was a prophetic act of putting those names in there. But there's a challenge. It will come out. We've got that hint there. 
there will be a reunion of North and South Kingdoms. There will be trust. They will be my people. They will be my loved ones. And if you carry on reading through chapter 2 and manage to wade your way past the, the bit of the unfaithful wife and angry husband dialogue, which takes it in turns going backwards and forwards as it explores it, it comes to a point where the Lord changes it. Where the Lord says he's got a leader in the desert and speak tenderly to her and give her back the vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. It's not just a story of one woman, an unfaithful woman, an adulteress. It's a story of God's people being brought back. The Lord will bring his people back. He'll call them home and longs to show his love for them. We as God's people have to be faithful people. We have to think about how we have been encountering God. How we have been encouraging one another. How we have been demonstrating God's love. Or have we? Have we been doing the opposite of those things. I'd like you to take a few minutes to think about the past week and think about maybe times when you've encountered God and maybe times when you've hindered others from encountering God. How you have encouraged one another or how you might have discouraged one another. What things have you said? What words have you spoken that might have done one or the other of those actions. And also think about how you have demonstrated God's love and how you might have been unloving. The challenge is, how do we be those people that encourage, who seek the encounter and aid others to encounter God? how we participate in sharing God's love. Part of it is being aware that none of us are perfect. We all fall short. But we needn't beat ourselves up over that fact that we fall short. Because we have a loving God. We have a God that allows us to change and recognises that change. We have a God that sent his own son that we might be forgiven. And it says at the end of chapter 2 in Hosea, 
I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. God has love for us. Whatever we've done, wherever we've been, whatever we've said in the past week, in the past month, in the past year, or at any time in our life, the Lord is ready to call us and help us move on. He comes to us. He seeks us passionately. But we have to learn from the mistake we have made and therefore journey rightly into the future.